0: Well, uh, good morning everyone. My name is Mark. Great to see you all this morning. And uh, gosh, it's a little humid, isn't it? It's like Singapore without the tax benefits. Um, uh, welcome. It's it's lovely to be back. I could, uh, and um, if you've been away for the summer you've been traveling and you're kicking back into the year just great to see you not yet um, i'm going to pray and then i'm going to before we get into the sermon just got a few uh, things to talk to you about about how we're uh, organizing church and where things are at so lord uh, speak to us now we we very much need your help in all of life uh we we need your help to just live and breathe but we also need your help to to be a church together and to grow spiritually so come and help us uh, holy spirit i pray Uh, help me speak clearly help us to listen with open minds and open hearts and just a longing to live for you and uh, we ask this in your name jesus amen so uh Two weeks ago, the staff team went away for three days to plan and pray together and think about where God might be leading our church, and it was a wonderful time, very rich, and uh, it comes out of this month of January where we've been thinking about Psalm 23 and how do we live a life with God, and it's been really a very spiritually, I I guess, really deep and encouraging experience, certainly for me terms of my own trust with God and what we did as a team is we looked at our church family and we said how do we build a church that is a little more effective at reaching the 40,000 people around us with the wonderful news of Jesus Um, and that's an important question right and clearly we're doing okay but I'm not seeing 40,000 people here It would be a little awkward um, if we had 40,000 people trying to squeeze in but so we could do better and then we thought well we've got two sites so we want to grow the ministry right up and down the peninsula and over into our parish uh, and we want to do that in a way also that offers a cradle to grave inclusive ministry that helps people at every age and stage of life connect with God and live a life with God. So we we had that as a vision and then we thought okay what is it how do we best use our gifts and abilities as a staff team, because we want what we do to flow out of wh- how God has gifted us. And so he- here's what we've come up with. Here's where we think God is leading us, and I'll put it to you, and uh, we'll, we'll give it a crack this year. It seemed as we thought about this, oh, the other little piece of information that, that, that we considered was uh, our new relationship with the Long daycare Center next door and the booming uh, early childhood young families <laughs> Cohort who've started, God has started bringing along to our church. So, uh, a few years ago when I started, uh, very, very few little kids, young families. So, Wendy and Keelan and Matt and Annie were kind of the only real couples with with preschoolers, Sue Taubman. uh, I can't say, uh, you know, so there were just a handful of families. And what God has done, this area is resurgent with young families, and God is starting to bring them into our church. So, oh, there's Sue. I was looking down the back view. Here we go. Sorry. Um, And uh, so, here's what we plan to do. Uh, We plan to uh, build very intentionally like an early childhood-focused ministry, connecting with the long daycare center families, 80 or 90 of those, uh, building a relationship with IntegraCare, who are the operators of that now. Uh, We want to build pathways for those families to connect with God. So the next step for them, Wendy is going to be running a parenting course called Circle of Security on Saturday mornings. So people are signing up to do that. Then the next step is we want to run a, uh, a, like a, a young families small group support group to look at the specific issues of how you connect uh, with God and raise your family when you've got like preschoolers, right? So we thought, what's the best time to do that? And as we've thought about it, really Sunday mornings are a good time to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to start a group on Sunday mornings at quarter to nine, that's going to run till quarter to 10. And it's for young families who are spiritual, but not necessarily religious, but initially starting with our families here at church, coming along and say, how do we meet together? We are going to be looking at, for term one, the book Boundaries with Kids, which is just a super helpful book on boundaries with kids, funnily enough. And then, uh, God willing, those families over time can segue neatly into this broader church experience, and the kids can move into Sunday school and so on. So that'll be, so. that's the plan for our early childhood uh, ministry. Now, uh, that's going to be led by Wendy and Margot and myself. So we're reallocating my energies from 9 o'clock to invest in this area of our church, which is God seems to have opened up really profoundly. Uh, what that means is that, and, and, and it works with our gifts. And then what we're going to do uh, is uh, Belinda, who has really strong music and shepherding gifts, where Belinda is going to reallocate her energy into trying to rejuvenate and invest in the 9 o'clock or the East Balmain community to see, that, see if we can uh, do something a little different there and get that growing. And so um, that's what she's going to do. She'll then do 9 o'clock, grow that, work to grow that community, and then come up here and connect with us at 10 uh, uh, for morning tea and so on, so still plugged in. The other thing is that all the staff are going to be attending all the services. So in addition to that, we're going to try and build a, a community where, this, where, we, where a seamless you know, 9, 10, 5, uh, just energized, growing, and well-resourced. Um, mm-hmm. You'll see the changes here, that Jono is here, for example. So Jono's running our teenage work. So great to see you here, Jono. It's just awesome. Uh, Now, what that means is, under God, we've got the building blocks to do a a uh, cradle-to-grave, multi-age, stretch-across-the-parish ministry. So uh, Wendy and I, or particularly Wendy, heads the early childhood stuff. Eliza hits the primary age uh, through Kids Club, through, which went phenomenally well on Friday. The numbers are up, people are signing up. Kids' club on Friday afternoons. scripture in the schools and Sunday mornings here at 10. Jono, the, as, the, as the kids grow up, Jono then runs our youth ministry on a Friday night, the Sunday nights. And then uh, services at 9 work down there, but 10 o'clock works for, for everybody, including young families. 5 o'clock has a particular focus on the 15 to 25-year-olds, but again, works for everyone. Uh, Belinda's role at five and across the whole church in demographic terms really becomes more focused on parents, the parents of primary age kids and the parents of the high schoolers and the growing community of like the, the wow stage of life where you're in your 50s and 60s and 70s uh, in, uh, and lots of energy, lots of life, really want to contribute and so Belinda's energy goes into mobilizing and releasing that energy for, for the kingdom. Um, And my job is to, uh, under God, provide the thought leadership and the vision and the structuring for the whole uh, enterprise so we can seek God together. It's to be the the primary teacher. Uh, That's a gift God seems to have given me. And also to be released as the person who... I just love talking to people who aren't yet Christians, who are finding their way into faith. I think that's one of my strongest gifts as an evangelist. So it's really how do I how, do, how am I deployed and released to be at that interface with folk who aren't yet in the church. Um, so that's the plan uh, of what we want to accomplish. Um... Uh, In terms of resourcing Nine, we've had had a chat with them. Uh, Belinda will preach. We'll have others from the community here rostered on to preach. I will go down and preach and do communion on a rostered basis, and we'll see how that goes. We want to roster more musicians on to go and serve at Nine and help out. And if you feel God nudging you at some point going, gosh, I'd love to get alongside Belinda to just help revitalize Nine, um, whether you do that every week or every second week or once a month, just have a chat to her and say, you know, if that's where God is leading you. Because what we want to do is build a healthy, thriving, multi-age, inclusive community that is a blessing to the whole, uh, the whole community. And uh, that's the plan. I think it's a good plan. It may not be. Like, it may, you know, like it may not work and who knows, but we, we think it's a good plan. We think it's God's plan. We're going to give it a crack And uh, we'll see what God does. And it's going to grow out of our experience of prayer. So let me encourage you uh, pray, seek God. Uh, You'll have noticed in the update we've got Bible and the Bible reading from Two Kings, we've got a 21 day Bible reading plan. To encourage us, and it's it's in the email update. You can literally just click on it'll populate your calendar um, with the daily readings. And wouldn't it be cool if we're just and it's it's examples of prayer from Exodus through to Revelation in the Bible. And 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 then come along on Wednesday night, 7:30 to 8:30, as we pray to God and seek His presence, and you know, and fast. I mean, you all fast anyway, right? You're fasting right now. All the fasting is is extending the time between meals so that in the time you might have eaten, you might give yourself to prayer and to seek God. But again, uh, there's no compulsion. It's entirely just an invitation, and it's free. But Wednesday nights, man, come along. Uh, Let's seek God together. Let's ask him to say, Lord, come, show up. Fill us with your presence. Make us a blessing. Okay. Sound good? Talk to me afterwards. Or don't. If you've got questions, comments, if you've got ideas for how to make it better, that's the key. you're, How can we make, be a better church to reach this, be a blessing to the community? If you've got man, that's we're all up, ideas all the time to make it better, um, because we're just figuring it out. We are building the canoe as we paddle. Um, so is that all right? All right. I think that sounds pretty cool. Let's think about, we've been on a journey... Uh, as we segue into this, um, we have been on a journey through Psalm 23. And as I alluded to at the start, uh, uh, this has been an extraordinarily helpful passage for me over this summer. I, I feel like I've encountered God in fresh ways. I just feel an energy and a joy in God that I didn't feel in December. And, and it's And I had the holiday in December, I was on holidays in December, so it's not that I've been on holidays, it's been that God has just used this so wonderfully in my life. And I hope you've had a bit of that as well, because it's an amazing psalm. And what we've been thinking about is, what does it mean to live um, a life without lack? Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Can I just make it, sorry, just pause that. Is the sound okay up the back there? Can you guys hear me okay? It's all good. Okay, just checking. Sometimes it's hard for me to judge. Thanks. Okay. Um, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What does it mean for you and I to live a life where we actually lack nothing? And we have said all along that the key, the very heart of this life, is uh, this experience of a life with God, God with me. Okay? So that's what we've been thinking about. And if you've missed the sermons or if you haven't heard them, um, they're online on our website. Go and have a listen. Uh, And I don't say that because I think I did a particularly good job, but just the content that I've shared and and distilled from Dallas Willard around this psalm is really pretty amazing. Um, It's pretty helpful. Uh, We looked at uh, how we live a life without God. It starts with our experience of of the magnificent abundance of God. Then we looked at our role in the world, how precious and wonderful we are, and how Satan wants to undermine that. And then we looked at... um, two weeks ago, we looked at Job's experience of God moving from a faith of propriety to a faith of desperation to a faith of sufficiency. So the sermon from two weeks ago was really pretty profound, like Willard's unpacking of Job's faith and how actually we start, we're in a place to live a life without lack when we encounter God in the storm and we have an experience of God that starts to help us understand that he's God and we're not. And it changes everything. So, so go have a listen to that if you want. And what we're going to look at today is a super exciting topic and one that we really, you know, I think it could become our, could be our tagline on all our social media and on all our marketing. And today we're looking at the truth that um, to live a life without lack, we must embrace death to self. Can't you, isn't that just so catchy? Like, <laughs> Aren't you like, yes, I'm so glad I came to church because I can come today and learn about death to self. The wonderful news for us is that we are going to think today about how dying to self actually provides the path to a life without lack. Now, before you think, and you may not think this, but if you are, before you think, hang on, this is a really miserable, joyless, crazy, weird religious cult that wants me to die to self, You know what? We are all involved and we all know it to be true that if we want to accomplish anything great and meaningful in our lives, we have to die to ourselves, don't we? Can you think of an example where to accomplish greatness you've got to die to yourself? Let's pretend this isn't a rhetorical question. Parenting! Parenting! Oh man, parenting is the alt- it's a great example. Like if you, you have a vision of life, and you know that if you want that little person A to exist and B to flourish as a little person, you have to die to yourself, your own wants, your own desires. Uh, it can no longer drive everything. And we all we all know when parents refuse to die to themselves. They actually fail their children profoundly. How about music? Like if you're a concert pianist, how have you died to yourself if you want to be a great musician? Well, from age of three, you die to playing as a kid. You die to online gaming. You die to having a social life. You die to friends because your parents want you to practice six or seven hours a day. Maybe when you're three, it's only four hours a day. But if you're going to achieve greatness musically, you've got to die to all this other stuff. Dying to self is the act of saying my present needs and wants are going to take second place to, to the vision that I have for my future self. Okay, So, that's, so this is true in every area of life. And it's also profoundly true in terms of our connection with God. We can think life with God. Um, this is what Dallas Willard says, because sometimes we can think di- dying to self is a negative thing. We're not saying it's not a putting down of ourselves. It's actually finding ourselves. So you were put here to be a self, to live fully as a self. The worth of the self, yourself, is inestimable. And God's intent for you is that you become a fully realized self, as you make the grace-fueled movement from the old self to the new self. God only wants what's good for us, right? Uh, this is what Colossians 3 says. We, we looked at it briefly last, night, uh, last week. It says, Do not lie to each other since, since, look at this, you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. So, wow, you've put on a new self. Taken off one, you've put on the new self. Uh, it's a key theme in, in the Bible, and it's, the vision is this, uh, this. These are some amazing verses. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, uh, but God actually God wants you to put off your old self, put on a new self, and become somebody who, particip- who becomes divinized, who actually be- participates in the divine nature. So, uh, amazing thought here to, to Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Like, God's plan for you is that you live a life that is so full of God, so intertwined with God, so, so united with Jesus that it can be said that you're actually participating in the very nature of God, that God is in you, and you are in God, and your life is lived in God. Like, So why would you put off the old self? Why would you die to yourself? Why would you say no to a whole bunch of stuff? because you've got a vision not of being a great concert pianist though that's not bad though most of us the ship has sailed on that aspiration Uh, but you you say no to that and yes so that you can have something far more amazing you and I can live with God in such a way with such intimacy that you participate in the very nature of God you become like Christ that's pretty astounding Um, Jesus put it this way Very famous words, um, but sometimes quite confusing. Matthew 16, and it, it picks up what Jesus talked about in John 12 in the Bible reading. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's it, right? If you, if, you want to, if you really want life, if you want the best of all possible lives, if you want a life with Jesus, if you want a life with God, the only way to get it, the only way to get it is to actually let go of a life that you control, to let go of your desire to be in charge, to let go of saying, my will be done, and instead say to Jesus, thy will be done. This is just obvious, right? The only way to, the only way to be a, a great parent is to die to the life of uh, pre-child selfishness. Or not even selfishness, pre-child autonomy. The only way to be a great concert pianist is to die to a, a life of being ruled by, your, by any desire other than playing the piano. The only way to live with Jesus is to lose your life. And to, to lose the life of autonomous control. And he says, but if you lose it, if you do that, you know what, you'll find life. You'll really find it. And, and that's it's important, right? Because he knows that we're scared of this. And he says then, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So we're always in life doing this exchange, laying our life down to get something else. What you've got to think about really carefully is what is the something else that you're trying to get is it really good so um years ago when we were in canada i i I talked with a man who uh, was in our church and his family he was a hockey family so ice hockey, though you don't put the ice in front of it in Canada, it's just hockey. And uh, they'd been a hockey family, and his three kids had all been extremely good hockey players. Uh, Both his sons were on track to play in the NHL, one had got injured and hadn't made it. His daughter uh, was on track to play in the women's equivalent, and his one son had made it to the NHL, right, which is, for a Canadian hockey family, it is every family's dream. They had sacrificed everything to get him there. And he gets there and, you know, his starting contract is like seven and a half million U.S. uh, a year excluding endorsements and advertising and it just goes up after that and he's like 23 years old and now the family has it all. And you know what he said to me? He said, if I had to do it all again, I wouldn't let my kids play hockey. Because, you know, you, you give everything up to get there and then when you get there, you discover What? She doesn't deliver. It's not what you really wanted. It really doesn't. You've lost your soul. And don't don't you know the risk of that in your own life? (laughs) You you know, how many of us uh, give? How many of us die to our families, our spouses, our physical health, in order to gain professional success? Financial security status in the eyes of others. And you get there and you go, Oh, I'm great, just as you keel over and have a heart attack on the boardroom table. I literally had a conversation with a guy many years ago, downtown Toronto, in his boardroom with his exquisite massive table, and he just had a heart attack, and he'd come back three weeks later and he said, I don't care, I'm happy to die on this table. They can take me out, this can become my coffin. And I thought, wow, what a he's just but he's doing what we all do. He's dying to something to live for something else. And Jesus says this just be really careful. Be really careful that that you don't actually die and grab, get hold of something that costs you your soul. You lose what's ultimately significant. And he says, Listen, die to self, live for Jesus, and what you'll find is life. Huh. Uh, you'll find life that is meaningful. Now, how does that happen? Um, how does that happen well um again this is why listening to the sermon from two weeks ago would be helpful um the nature of the death to self-experience is that that if we've had the kind of revelation of god that job had it happens naturally like once you see once you've actually tasted and seen how good god is once you've experienced god and actually puts the exchange in perspective because you start to go hmm god's god why would I not want to live for God? Why would I not want to give up everything to have a life with God? Well, you would. Like, he's it, just, of course you would. Like, why would you not? You go, well, I'd, I'd rather have a fancy boardroom with harbour views than God. That's a little weird, right? When you stop and you go, huh. Now, there's a problem though, right? The problem is this. Most people do not want to meet God in that way because they are afraid of losing something they value. Okay, The human heart is very complex. And the fact that someone trusts God at one level does not mean they have fully surrendered their life to Him. Let's be honest. Most of us are kind of scared that if we really meet God, we're going to lose our lives. He's going to make us miserable. It's that sneaking fear that, oh, if I I really surrender my life to God, he's going to make me poor. If I really surrender my life to God, he's going to make me boring. I'm going to become one of the cardigan people. If I really surrender my life to God, he's going to send me as a missionary to deepest, darkest Africa, or whatever that is, you know. We really we're scared, so we don't actually want to experience God. And and you know I don't know if you know this if you've noticed this that and I have to, you know I've been a follower of Jesus for 35 years. I actually think my um, my surrender to God or my life is very much like an onion. You know so so initially when I was 15 and I came to God there's like a, a peeling back the layer and surrendering my life to Jesus and I'm like yeah this is awesome. But you know what I've discovered as I've gone on? If I'm prepared to work with God, he keeps peeling back the layers of the onion and showing me areas where I'm not yet surrendered. And, and isn't this true, that every differing stage of life brings you another whole challenge to surrender to God? So that the challenges of surrendering to God deeply when you're 20 look different to when you're 30, and they look different to when you're 40, and they look different to when you're 50 like how do you surrender to God in every stage of life and allow God to just keep peeling back those onions see here's the thing in the church right we can at one level we can trust Jesus to get us into heaven right and that's a good trust let's let's all do that right but can we trust Jesus to actually shape our lives today Can I trust Jesus with my life here and now, like with my sexuality, with my superannuation, with my um, relationships? Like, uh, you know, Jesus says outrageous things like you've got to forgive people who sin against you. forgiveness is crazy, right? Like, let me tell you, revenge and bitterness is a much smarter strategy in the short term. and 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 all around us people adopt that strategy can i trust jesus to to guide my relationships here and now and provide for me now that's much harder i'll trust you know so that's the journey working with god to let him peel back those layers and and not to disparage where we are but to say that god wants more of us and we have to progressively lay down each area of our life that we discover we've been holding on to, lay that down, die to that, so that we can embrace Jesus in that part of our life and live for him. He you say, well, how does that work? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Like, why, why would I think that God would want anything but the best for me? He's, he's died for me. He's given his own life for me. Why am, I holding, why am I holding back? Why am I so scared of surrender? I mean, what have I got to lose? What have I got to gain? I mean, these are important questions. And, and they differ for, me, for each of us, right? But Paul says the reason we can die to ourselves is because the love of Christ shown to us on the cross is what drives us, what moves us to do that. Those, Paul says in Galatians 5, who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does that, what does that mean, um, What does it mean to die to ourself? um, Here's how Dallas Willard puts it. Dying to the self or to live in the flesh, to live with uncrucified affections and desires, is simply a matter of putting them in the ultimate position in our lives. Whatever we want becomes the most important thing, right? This is it. This is what happens when we are living apart from God We make our desires ultimate because they're all we have, right? We just have our desires. We look to them as if they were everything in our lives, thinking of my worth, my glory, my appearance, thinking of my power to sustain myself. And here's the truth that you may never have thought about and why we can't live a life without lack. We can't live a life with God while our desires are ultimate, because as long as our desires are paramount in our lives, we cannot have much faith in God. Think about it. If your desires are what drive you, if you're still driven to get what you need, what you want, your glory, your dominance, if God gives you the gift of faith, what are you going to do with that faith? i ask the question again if your desires are what controls you when god gives you the gift of faith what are you going to do with the faith you're going to use it to get what you want right like i've got faith so and jesus says faith is a powerful gift if we have faith we can move mountains oh my goodness if God gave me the gift of faith to move mountains, why well, let me you know what you'd be doing? Man, I'd be I'd be moving houses out of the way so I could have a harbour view, wouldn't you? I'd be I'd be using my faith to ensure that I got what I think my desires tell me I need right now. And actually what God's plan is that it's faith working through love. But the problem is, if I'm driven by my desires, I'm not actually going to use the gift of faith that God gives me to actually love people. And that's going to be a problem. That's going to be chaos, right? So he doesn't give us much faith until we've crucified our old self, until we're prepared to say, no, not my will, but yours be done. Then he'll say, I'll give you faith. And then we'll test you. We'll see. Uh, Do you really mean that? Let's peel back the onion a little more. God does not give us significantly more faith until we have come to terms with death to self. An individual can have only a very small amount of faith until he or she has come to a very clear resolution of the place of his or her desires, his glory, his power to dominate. Until these are settled, he's not going to have much faith. So maybe... The real challenge for you and for me is not, Lord, I need more faith. My faith is I struggle to believe. The real challenge is a a far deeper one. The real challenge is, am I prepared to lay down my will, my desires, so that I can follow God and trust him? Well, um, what does dying to self look like? Well, you can't, you can't legislate it. You might be sitting here thinking, well, tell me exactly what this looks like so I can start doing it. Well, when we try to make rules for dying to the flesh, we're likely to miss the core problem, which is not our behavior, but it's what, it, what is in our hearts. So uh, different churches at different times try to make rules about what dying to self and living to God really looks like. When I, was a, when I became a follower of Jesus in Cape Town, There was a a kid in the Christian group at the university who came from uh, part of Cape Town, the Cape Flats, and and in his Christian subculture, he was taught that if you you wanted to be a follower of Jesus, you know what you had to give up? You had to give up dancing, a bunch of other things as well, but dancing was really significant at dancing dancing. He had to give up dancing. Now, dancing, he was a competitive ballroom dancer. He loved ballroom dancing. He was really good at it. But, but, and his massive struggle of faith was, if I'm going to be serious with God, I've got to stop ballroom dancing. And I'd grown, grown up in a white liberal Jewish background and then a white Anglican church, and I listened to him. And he, he shared this great cathartic moment of dying to dancing so he could live to Jesus. And I just burst out laughing. It was so inappropriate. And thankfully, I don't think he heard. I just I was astounded cuz you know rules it doesn't rule you can't legislate this now it is true dancing might have been for him the thing that he was holding on to and not surrendering to god or it might not have been the ma- it's a matter of the heart and so that's why we need christian community we need a community of spiritual vulnerability and intimacy where we can help each other see the state of our hearts and the state of surrender right what because your life what one person's dying to self might look very much like another person's living to self or the other way around one person's being driven by their desires might on the surface look very much like another person's radical surrender to god what matters is the heart now as an aside there are there are clear moral guidelines the bible has about a christian life we're not talking about those it's the other stuff see there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting things or having things but whatever, but we should attempt to receive whatever God wishes to give us, so we might use it to His glory. What is wrong is when not getting what we want propels us into a state of bitterness, irritation, impatience and anger. And we depend upon our own tricks and devices, our confidence in our own power to get the things we want. It's how you tell. That's how you tell. Have you died to yourself? Well, when the things that you want, you don't get, what do you do with that? You get angry, you get impatient, you get grumpy with God, you get grumpy with others. You double down on your efforts to get what you want. And if you don't, you're miserable. Do you you see that in your own heart? I see that in my heart. It's an amazing diagnostic tool for what I haven't yet surrendered to God. The right thing would be simply releasing it all and saying, all right, God knows. I'm living in His world. He can give me what He wants. I will not put these things in the place of God. That's it. So, here's a choice before us. It's a moment in time, existential choice that we each have to make once, but then it's also a daily choice. Deny yourself and follow Christ, or deny Christ and follow yourself. Those are the options. And the results are simple, saving your life or losing it. That's how Jesus puts it. And, and we're in the business here as a church, aren't we, of uh, saving our lives. We're in the business of living into all that God wants for us. Of living a life with God. Which means grappling with this stuff. Being willing and open to face our the the grip that our desires and our autonomous will has on our hearts. And repent. Lay it down. We're a church where you know, we need to keep Not disparaging where we are, but saying where we are is not where God wants us to be. He accepts us just as we are where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And we love each other too much to leave us uh, in a state of unsurrendered false obedience or a state of stuckness where there's big areas of our lives where we haven't surrendered and therefore big areas of our lives where we're actually dying on the inside, even though we don't see it yet. That's what church is about. That's what spiritual growth is about. So let's pray. Let's pray into this. Let's pray that God works in our lives, individually and together, and that 2019 is a a year of dying to self and living for Christ, experiencing all the fullness that God has for us. Lord God, uh, come into our lives now. Come and bless us. Come and fill us with your love, Deal with our fears that following you will make us miserable or cause us to miss out on what really makes life worth living. Holy Spirit, strip away the layers of the onion today. Speak to us. Show us where we're living for ourselves and not for you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we're we going kind of respond by sharing in communion together. And uh, we do this uh, as a way of coming to Jesus and saying, you know, you're the one who meets my deepest needs. And if we can just flip the little silver doofy there, I'll grab. Thanks, Richard. Um